I want to take a bit of a risk this morning and, and start with a, with a bit of a poetry reading. I know that sounds a bit, uh, you know, snobbish or snooty maybe, but stick with me. You know, it's important, I think. Um, it's just kind of the high class operation that we are running around here. So our reading this morning comes from Peanuts, the uh, George Schultz great work. Um, and in this particular Peanuts installment, Lucy Van Pelt, resident bully, is walking in to the den where her brother, I know you can't read this, but it's a poetry reading, so I'll, be, I'll get there, okay? Uh, she walks in to the den there, and her brother Linus is already watching TV, and a couple of different times, Lucy demands that he change the channel. And Linus says, are you kidding? What makes you think you can just walk in here and take over? To which Lucy responds, these five fingers. She says, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus, knowing that he's beaten, sighs and says, all right, which channel do you want? And in the last frame, here's Linus talking to his fingers, and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Unity is a powerful thing. We're currently in, the sec in a section of the book of Romans, uh, the next to the last, depending upon how you divide it up, where Paul is teaching us what the Christian life looks like. Paul has said the Christian life is all about me or you, any Christian, giving my body to God as a sacrifice that's alive, that's holy, and it's pleasing to him. And everything since Romans 12.1 has been Paul teaching us what that will look like if we are doing it, and from 14.1 to the end of this section, so all of chapter 14 and the first 13 verses of chapter 15 are all about one thing. We are not being a, a living sacrifice. We're not living the Christian life correctly the way God wants us to unless we are fighting for unity within the body of Christ. Unity within the church was a, was a very important topic to Paul. You can tell because he wrote about it all the time. In lots of his letters. Here's the problem with unity in the church, though. I mean, the problem's us. <laughs> uh, the problem is... The church of Jesus Christ is incredibly diverse. Certainly around the world, it's diverse in lots of different ways. But even in a local church where all of the people come from largely the same sort of place, there's all kinds of differences that we bring with us into the church. We were raised differently by different kinds of parents. We had different kinds of norms and traditions and likes and dislikes. 
And on one hand, there is no greater unifying force in the entire world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel can take vastly different people and unify them. But the gospel doesn't erase all of our differences. It just doesn't. Here's one example. In overnight last night, what for us was last night, it was Sunday morning in most of Africa. And all over, especially sub-Saharan Africa, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of churches. And they had church while we were sleeping. And they had music time. And their music time looked a lot different than our music time. They were dressed differently. It was louder. There was a lot more movement. There was dancing. A lot different than... In our culture, we're a little more, we're a lot more buttoned up, buttoned down. Like sometimes I raise my hand when we're singing, and I think people think I've gone full-on Pentecostal. <laughs> right, who's right? Who's wrong? Who's better? Who's worse? Don't get me wrong. I don't want to see you dance. And I can promise you, you don't want to see me dance for the damage we would do to the arts in general. But we all know that God can be glorified in Africa as well as here, right? The differences, all of these differences are, are not right and wrong as long as they stay inside the, bound, the boundaries that the scripture has given us. It's really easy for a local church to even without really knowing that we're doing it, sort of demand uniformity and similarity in areas where the scriptures and the gospel don't demand uniformity and similarity. And we can cause disunity over some of these things that grieves the heart of our God. So today, and moving forward, Paul's going to issue a call for unity among or while we are different, amongst our differences and disagreements, among some things that we feel really passionate about, and it's okay. This is one of those places where, like, if you look hard enough, this book will offend you. It will. You're not batting a thousand with the God of the universe, nor am I. We will all come to things in the scriptures where it's like, I kind of wish, if I'm honest, that I wish that wasn't there. <laughs> so let's read our passage. And then we'll talk about first, Paul's going to talk about some Christians that he calls weak in the faith, some Christians that he calls strong in the faith, and he's going to call them to remain unified and accepting of one another, even though their differences will remain. Let's read our passage and we'll talk about what those terms mean and then we'll dig into the passage. So Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. Paul says, now accept or receive the one who's weak in the faith and do not have quarrels over opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats 
is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person, another example, one person values one day over another. Another person values every day the same. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it for the Lord. The one who eats does so with regard to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And the one who does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. Verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10, but as for you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or... You as well on the other side of the fence. Why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all appear before the judgment seat of, of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me every knee will bow and every tongue will, uh, will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There's our passage. Before we dive in, we won't understand a thing in this passage, we won't understand the next like three weeks until we understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about certain Christians being weak in their faith and certain Christians being strong in their faith. He doesn't use the word strong in today's paragraph, but it's coming. Today's just like the non-weak. But in chapter 15, he'll say, he'll call those folks strong. What's this mean? Well, to start explaining what a weak Christian is in this sense and a strong Christian is in this sense, I want to start by telling you what Paul's not talking about. We've got to get some things out of our minds before we misunderstand this. Paul is not talking about like Christians and non-Christians for sure. He's also not talking about, um, you know, the mature are not strong, seasoned Christians with powerful faith and then weak Christians have this sort of immature baby faith. That's not what he's talking about. It's, it's different than that. And here's how we can be sure of those things. Um, well, let me tell you what he is going to be talking about first. Then we'll go there. Paul's going to be talking about there are certain practices or observances or behaviors or actions, whether inside the church or in, or in life outside the church building, that some Christians look at an activity or, or a behavior and say, that is not permissible for a Christian. I cannot be the living sacrifice Paul wants me to be and do that. Paul calls that but being weak in the faith. And here's, here's why. It's, it sounds way more pejorative or more like a put down than it actually is. Paul's just saying that person's faith can't carry something like that. I cannot be a living sacrifice and do that. Someone else is free to do that. 
Some things, some th I have to do this, I can't do that in order to be a living sacrifice. I, I'm free to do that, I'm not free to do that. There are different issues, we will get to them. Now here's another thing Paul is not talking about. Paul's not talking about people who try to add behavioral requirements to what Paul has called justification by faith. Paul is not saying whatever these issues are that we're gonna talk about, he's gonna talk about eat meat or don't eat meat. Um, observe certain religious days or don't observe certain religious days. Paul's not talking about someone who says, if you don't come down where I come down on those issues, you are not a Christian. That's not, a, that's not an option for this passage. This is not people who add uh, what we would call works or religious activity to salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. That happens. There are discussions about stuff like that in the Bible, but it's not this passage. We'd go to Galatians for that. The reason we can tell Paul's not talking about people who add, uh, you, if you don't come down where I come down on this behavior, you're not even a Christian. That can't be this, because Paul would be furious if that was happening. He's really mad in the Galatian church, because there were people there saying, if you don't, if you're not circumcised, if you don't obey the Old Testament, you are not a Christian. And Paul is like, out of his mind, angry. The angriest he ever gets. Also, in several different ways in today's passage and in the next chapter and a half, Paul calls these people Christians, brothers, brothers and sisters, servants of God. Over and over, he calls both sides, the weak and the strong, like Christian folks. So this is not Christian and non-Christian. It is, again, um, there's an issue... I'll give you some examples. Over the next few weeks, we may add some more. So all of these folks Paul is talking to, they've all done Romans 1 through 11. God has saved them through the gospel. Now, we're talking about living the Christian life. Think about these. For someone who is um, saved by faith in Christ, how about this? Can a Christian be a living sacrifice be living a life that is given over to God and chew tobacco. Can, can a Christian be living his or her life for God and drink a glass of wine with their linguine? Like actual wine with alcohol in it. How, how is a Christian supposed to dress for church? Could, can I be giving my life to God as a living sacrifice as a male and wear a hat in this room right now? How about if I come Tuesday morning and do some work on the church? or on the, the chairs. Can I have a hat on then in this room? Is there a difference? Behavior during singing. What's acceptable to do? What's acceptable not to do? Again, the, the person Paul 
calls weak. Because the fact is, you can't find the church dress code passage in the Bible. It's not there. Now, there are boundaries. That we could, modesty might be an issue, right? So in these, what I'm going to call non-revealed issues. We're, it's very important to understand. We're not talking about things that are revealed in the Bible to be sin. We are not talking about things that are revealed in the Scripture to be sin. Clear? No one can say, I, like I am free to be a living sacrifice while I'm strangling a guy to death. Right? While I'm stealing something. While I'm doing some act of sexual immorality. While I'm drunk out of my mind. That's revealed in the Scripture. God gives us our opinion. What our opinion is to be. But there are non-revealed issues in the Bible that we differ on. Here's the, the, where I think the clearest understanding comes from of what Paul's talking about. It's hidden in verse 2 where Paul says about the strong Christian. The issues about eating meat, not eating meat. I'll explain in a minute what that issue is. But Paul says in verse 2 that the strong person believes in eating anything. What's that mean? It can't mean sort of what it sounds like. So there are Christians who didn't eat meat. There are Christians who did. The strong Christian thought it was okay to eat meat. And Paul said he believes in eating meat. Was that what he puts his faith in for salvation? I think this ribeye is going to save me. If only it could, though, right? (laughs) Um, um, Paul says... He believes in that action, during that action. So there were Christians who could be that living sacrifice, exercise that faith while eating something that a Christian brother or sister, their faith wouldn't allow them to. Like, I can't eat that and be a living sacrifice to my God. So that's sort of what this means, weak and strong. And finally, before we dive into the passage, I want you to know, it's okay to have some strong opinions on these things. In fact, it's encouraged. Paul's going to tell us, like, be sure in your own mind. Paul's not going to say, don't think about this stuff. You're making too big of it. He's going to say, decide on these things. Now, he won't be telling you what to decide. What side to come down on, he can't. He'll tell you to be convinced. But then he'll tell us this. This is the main idea. You have to, I have to, we have to accept and receive Christians who come down on the opposite side of some of these non-revealed issues. That's the main idea. Look, I'll show you. Verse 1. Paul says, Now, receive the one who's weak in the faith and don't have disputes over differing opinions. 
This word receive, the Greek word behind this word receive, um, requires uh, showing warmth and love and fellowship. So in this case, with someone else who disagrees on one of these non-revealed issues with you. We are to work harder at being warm and accepting and caring towards someone on the opposite side of one of these issues, harder at being warm and receiving than we work at trying to change their mind, change their behavior, um, or whatever else. That's this passage's main idea. Everything else about that. Verse 2, Paul brings up his, his first example of one of these issues. He'll give several. He'll give the days, the meat. And next week he's going to say wine. Verse 2, one person believes in eating everything, but the weak person eats only vegetables. Eats only vegetables means they don't eat meat. Doesn't that seem weird? A weird thing for people to get hung up on. Um, here's the issue. Here's why this is an issue. Then this is, this is not a health food uh, lifestyle choice. This is a religious conviction. Because of a couple of Greek words Paul uses, uh, I think next week, but one of the next couple weeks, I can tell you the reason... Whoever these Christians are that don't eat meat, it has something to do with the Old Testament food laws. So I'm going to assume these are Jewish converts to Christ. And they don't eat meat. Here's why. It's not that the Old Testament ever said Israel can't eat meat. That's not true at all. But animals had to be slaughtered in a, in a certain manner that made them what we call kosher, acceptable. And, and any other meat, literally, to the, to the sort of Hebrew way of thinking, was disgusting, and it was disrespectful to God to do that. It was gross. So we have these Jewish Christians who have been exiled from their Jewish community, which means they don't have access to kosher meat, because they don't get along with the other Jews who haven't converted to Jesus yet. So they can't have Jewish kosher meat. And the, the pagan meat, some of it might, would have been sacrificed or offered as a sacrifice to some fake god in some Roman temple. The idea that I could take a chance of eating something like that, there's no way I could be being respectful to my God and do something that feels so just awful to me. So I'm out. No meat. It is. It, so if, if I'm a teetotaler, and the idea that I could have an alcoholic beverage with a meal during the game, whatever, it just, that, there's no way, it's disgusting. It, there's no way I could be honoring God while doing that. That's a real conviction. That's, that's pretty similar, really, to, to this meat thing, if that makes sense. On the other side of this, you have Gentiles saved out of the pagan world. They, have, they know nothing of the food laws. They've been eating that meat their whole life. It's not repulsive to them. They're like, hey, God is the God of everything. That was God's animal before it went in that temple. And now it's just on my plate. And so their, their faith is like strong enough to hold that or carry that. But it's just because it's not an issue. 
to them. So that's the, that's the meat thing. Now look. Verse 3. He's, now he's going to go back to his main idea. You have to accept the people of differing opinions. The one who eats everything, who eats meat, you can't hate the one who has decided he can't eat meat. And the one who abstains from meat cannot judge the one who eats everything. Did you hear Paul there? What he's saying is that, so you're somebody who eats all meat. It's really easy to look at the non-meat eaters, the meat abstainers, and go, oh, that hopelessly fundamental. What a prude. How could you live? Oh, man, right? The other side, the meat abstainer looks at the guy who's eating meat that came out of some temple someplace. It's really easy for him to go, how, you can, how can you call yourself a Christian and put that in your mouth? And Paul says, you can't do that. Why? Because God has accepted the other guy. Because God has accepted the other guy. That last clause right there, for God has accepted him, that's the theological bottom line behind all this. Again, this is not sin issues. These are these non-revealed things. Somebody, I can be a living sacrifice while I'm doing this. I can't be a living sacrifice while doing this except one another because God has accepted the other guy. Now Paul's going to kind of zoom in, zero in on God's acceptance of the other guy and hash out the theological bottom line. That's verses 4 through 9. Start in verse 4. Paul says, Who are you to pass judgment on another's servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I want you, I'm going to spare you the Greek lesson here, but I want you to know this is much more direct and pointed than it sounds, because Paul does something to make this, our word, you, be very emphatic. It's like he says it twice. He says, who are, who are you to pass judgment on that guy who is God's servant? Multiple commentators reword this one this way. Remember, that guy has a master, and it's not you. That woman has a judge, and it's not you. He's calling both, both camps. And by the way, you can be strong on some things and weak on some things. This is not like the weak ones sit over here and the strong ones sit over here. I can be weak on one thing, strong on something else, weak on a third. Right? Um, but both camps, if you could call it that, he calls God's servants. He has a master. Here's why, here's why, why doesn't Paul just say, um, who are you to pass judgment on that other guy? Why say on another servant? Here's why. As a Christian, our master is Christ, right? That's whose work we are supposed to be about. God has saved people from every tribe and tongue and nation and with all these differences. Now, we bring them all in here and try to chop that guy down the size, 
make him just like me, do you know whose work I might be hurting? His master's. Because God saved me out of my sort of subculture. God saved me out of my people. That I can still communicate. And it's different from your people with your background and your whatever. And so he says, even if you could make him fall, which you can't, but if you could, you might feel like you have won, but it's the Lord's work that suffers. And he says again, and he will stand because the Lord is strong enough to make that guy that disagrees with you stand. He stands in Christ. Paul moves on next, verse 5, to, a, to his, his second example. Now, lets us know this isn't just about meat. <laughs> this is just examples. Paul says, here's another example. You got one guy that regards one day holier than other days, and another guy regards all days alike. Paul doesn't tell us what these days are, probably because there's multiple examples of this. This could be Sabbath keeping, for sure. There could be Jewish converts, so Christians who are from a Jewish background. They've always kept the Sabbath on Saturday, and maybe they still want to. That's okay. Um, this might be other things. It might be uh, Christians who are like, well, I don't do that, but I, let's move the Sabbath to the Lord's Day, to Sunday. Something we're never like, specifically directed to do in the Bible, but it's okay. These might be regular days of fasting. This might be regular religious days on the calendar. Um, you know, one time... When the calendar a few years ago, Christmas was on a Sunday morning. Anybody remember that? What we did here is, so we were going to have Christmas Eve service after dark and then come back Sunday morning. We just had, we had our Sunday service on Saturday night, Christmas Eve, and we didn't have church on Sunday. I went to school, substitute teaching, and several of the kids were, I cannot believe, my, you, my parents told me you guys didn't even have church on Christmas. Right? I was like, oh, Sorry. Um, the kids were making fun of me. Um, I got over it. Okay? That's a special day. Notice what Paul says. Paul does not say, here's what you have to think. He says, you got to decide what you think. Every, every person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, have some strong opinions on these things because it's the way you are deciding to honor Christ with your life. Listen to what Paul says. So the one who observes that day does it for the Lord. The one who eats that meat eats it for the Lord. He gives thanks. Thank you, O Lord, for this T-bone I am about to tear up. Right? But the one who abstains from eating meat does it for the same reason, to honor the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. God, thank you. I know, like I smell that, it smells really good, but I am, I am abstaining from this to honor you. How can, can God really accept one person who does one thing 
and another person who does the opposite thing, both as honoring to him? Yes. Yes. I make up my mind. This is how I am going to honor you, and I do it for the Lord. Here's why that's important to understand. Because we can convince ourselves that if we can get right, if we can get on the right side of these issues, we're automatically a living sacrifice. Oh, no. Oh, no. If I dress right, if I eat or drink right, I got a nail, living sacrifice. No. This is only how you have decided to be a part of the way you're a living sacrifice. You know, in, in our branch of Christendom, we are very big on, and rightly so, it's very important, we like to tell people that you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. It's good that we tell people that and explain how they can start once. But here's the mistake we tend to make. We see someone else and their personal relationship with God doesn't look just like my personal relationship with God. And then we think they don't have one. Well, is it personal or isn't it? I have a personal relationship with my wife. It's different than the personal relationship you have with your spouses, right? Now, can I, get, can I act in a way? Can I hide behind this? Hey, it's my personal relationship with my wife, so you can't tell me I can't commit adultery. You can't tell me I can't abuse her, because it's personal. Of course not. That's revealed to be sin. But inside our personal relationship, there can be lots of differences. Here's another example. It's kind of a silly one, but at our house, generally, we take off our shoes when we come inside. Um, we just do. Is that okay? Is that an okay, like, personal household practice at our house? So let's say you invite us over, we go to your house, and you are filthy shoe wearers, okay? <laughs> you heathens. Okay, so you invite us in, and we start to take our shoes off, and you go, no, 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 you don't have to do that. We leave our shoes on. Ah, we'd feel better. It's okay, right? And so we'll feel, we take our shoes off, Right? That's fine. But what if we spend the rest of the evening trying to convince you how dumb you are to wear your shoes and damage your carpets in your house? Or you come over to our house. You refuse to take your shoes off because it's dumb and I'm not going to take my shoes on and off every time I go in out of the door. What are you, Japanese? So you know what's going to happen before long? We're not coming over and you're not coming over. And the problem's not the shoes. The problem's our hearts and our pride. Because can we glorify God in our house, in our stocking feet? Yes. If we're right on that issue, just because we have our shoes off, does that guarantee we're glorifying God in our house? No. And you can glorify God in your house wearing your shoes, even though you're just a filthy animal. But <laughs> kidding, obviously.
Uh, seven through nine, I got to go. I got to go quickly here. I'll just quick summary here. Paul says, just remember your whole life, whether you are ripe with your shoes on, shoes off, tobacco, no tobacco, dancing, no dancing, movies, no movies, whatever. Just make sure that you understand you're living your life not for that decision, not for the freedom to do that thing. You're living your life for the one you live or die for. That is what is important. You're his, and while you live, you're his after you die. That's why he came, to make you his. Yeah, there's more to say there, but we've got to keep going. And Paul concludes in verses 10 through 12. Man, pay attention. I say this one all the time. It's been a while. Pay attention when God asks questions, right? He does it through Paul here. Paul says, so... You who have decided to abstain from meat, you who eat vegetables only, why is it that you judge your brother or sister? And you who have decided to eat meat, why is it really that you can't stand that one who has the opposite opinion as you? Why? Sometimes we can, we can be convinced we're contending for Christ but if we're causing disunity in an area he didn't command us to contend for, I'm not sure he's all that fired up about the whole deal. And then Paul reminds us, remember, we're all going to stand before the real judge one day. For it is written, right? And you know this. He quotes scripture so you know every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. That's where we're headed. I don't have time to teach through the, the judgment seat of Christ here. But this is a judgment that only Christians stand before. This is not where people learn if they're going to heaven or hell. This is only for people who were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb during their lifetime. We're all going to heaven, but we're going to stand before the judge and give an account of ourselves. And I think Paul puts us here to remind us. He doesn't have a checklist. Did you eat meat? No? Well, good. Did you wear your shoes inside? Yeah. Oh, for Pete's sake. How'd you get in here? Right? That's not what this is. Paul says, keep in mind what you're going to be judged for. Because here's what happens. When we, when we cause fights, bickers, disunity over these non-revealed things, God cares way more about the fight than he cares about the thing we're fighting over. The cause of Christ, the name of Jesus, gets damaged when churches stand and demand uh, identical unity on stuff that God didn't. Again, if there's not a sin issue, if there's not a different gospel issue, right, those are different. This is this non-revealed stuff. And also at that judgment, we will be rewarded for certain things. And again, I don't think it's being on the right side of the checklist on these issues. It is, in this case, did you warmly fellowship with, love, and accept people who had different ideas from you in these issues? Because that makes the God of grace good. 
glorifies Him. Pray with me and we'll finish. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Again, even the hard parts. God, um, as we've gone through these things, I know some of us feel passionate about some, some things that uh, maybe I brought up. God, I pray that you, you'd help us to hear these things with grace. But God, where we have uh, sort of planted our flag and cause division over things that you haven't revealed as sin or things that are secondary to the gospel. Pray you to lead us to lead us to repent, which just means to offer a hand of fellowship and of love towards somebody I may have offended, to be warm. God, we have we have there, there's enough sin for us to wrestle with. So help us from causing disunity uh, where you want unity. God, help us to be unified also in the hatred of sin. If we love one another, we will abhor what is evil. Then help this church more and more to be that, that closed fist like Lucy Van Pelt only aimed at the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and a world that needs you and your love and your grace and your mercy. God, unify us in the gospel. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand and we will finish.